Hi, everyone. I'm Sabine van der Linden. I run Venture Labs under the name of Alchemy Crew. And today I'm very thrilled to be in the InsurTech Business Series podcast. Welcome to the InsurTech Business Series podcast. I am Fudimi. And I am Gamola. And together... We host the most exciting podcast on insurance and insurtech related topics in Africa. Stay tuned. Welcome, Sabine. Hi, Damana. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast today. Awesome. Awesome. It's, it's a pleasure for us to have you. So we usually start off uh, conversations with uh, getting to know our guests. Can you tell us about yourself? Who is Sabine? What has your journey been into insurance and then the space of insurance innovation? Sure. I actually, I'm French and uh, I've actually moved to the United Kingdom many years back, at least 30 years ago, um, through this program when Erasmus was still something that um, a lot of European students could do to um, access knowledge, improve their opportunities as well across European market. And actually the program I mean, selected very few candidates to go into um, targeted countries. So uh, I started actually as a French student moving into the UK. And the interesting thing is I was doing uh, studies to go into banking and financial services. And the, I would say the journey is, you know, you're going into you with different organizations and you actually test the culture. And um, I don't know, at the time I didn't really like the banking culture. And at the same time, um, I think Lloyd's of London was doing a lot of effort to welcome students in in insurance, right? Lots of London being a transactional market where specialty line insurance are being traded. Um, you know, think about satellites, think about uh, celebrities, right? Insuring their voices or um, footballers insuring their fit. Um, it's it's a market where you can actually insure things you cannot insure often through other means. And so my foray into insurance has been through really wanting to work in an environment which had um, a netball accepting culture uh, of uh, because I guess when I, I moved to, to the UK and I studied after three years, my English was good, but it was not perfect. And so I wanted to make sure that I gave myself the opportunity to leverage my strength, right? As a French mathematician, a very logical person. Uh, and at the same time, my bilingual uh, status, uh, which I was gradually acquiring. I joined a, a broker of Lloyd's at the time, and um, my uh, graduate training scheme was to work alongside uh, executives and a senior manager to uh, position within the Lloyd's market really um interesting uh, piece of art so i doing i was doing fine art at the time and celebrity insurance actually uh, and and the interesting thing within that broker you could move around and, and learn uh, to uh, the process of underwriting uh, risk um through uh really understanding the customer needs i guess um not only uh, through what I call, I would call a like, smaller risk type to, to larger ones. And, you know, I had to move into property and big buildings at some point. But, you know, th- this overall background uh, just shows that um, when I joined, and it was, I guess, a very welcoming industry. And they were looking at talent, which I think it's a problem which is affecting the industry again today. Uh, you know, after COVID with a lot of remote working and having adapting, you know, having to adapt to the new normal, I think, um, the industry is learning to, 
welcome new ways of welcoming talent, young talent, which are looking for more flexibility in, in their learning approach. I stayed at Lloyd's of London for three years. I went to do my MBA and then I worked for tech companies, a number of tech companies for 18 years. And 18 years, I decided to go back to working for smaller uh, businesses. And I got the opportunity to work in fintech to start with. Then identified opportunity in InsureTech in 2015. And I guess that's where I get my little nickname in fact <laughs> I accelerated. I guess so far, I mean, you know, my profile, I say 100 to just remain um, a little bit shy, but probably today, probably 150 startups accelerated, probably have them raise over 120 million, 150 wow. million in funding. Um, and I'm very picky now because mm-hmm. fundraising takes a lot of time and efforts and mm-hmm. I run a business at the same time. So um, after going from fintech into insurtech and becoming mm-hmm. managing director for startup book of insurtech in Europe and building Hartford Insurtech Hub, the accelerator part of it in Hartford, Connecticut in the United States, I decided uh, just before COVID actually to build my own company mm-hmm. called Alchemy Crew where I'm elevating some of the techniques which are used within the acceleration environment. So I build venture labs mm-hmm. for big yeah. companies, fewer companies, and my goal is to help them embed within their own environment some of the great techniques which are used by investors. Um, and I think partly, um, you know, the strategy thinking of big consultancy, but making it much more approachable from an investor MNA uh, language to industrialize the technique of collaborating with startups. Mm. Fast forward 2015 to COVID uh, and all that happened. Uh, you know, many people you know, we've spoken with, have this sentiment that, I mean, we didn't have to wait for COVID for a lot of things that we are seeing within this space, right? If you're going to make a case, you know, about the pandemic and, you know, insurance innovation and how we are seeing a lot of movement within that space today, what would your argument be for or against? When COVID arrived, and I remember uh, making my own shift in from February 20 and building company in June 2020 with colleagues in the industry wanted to collaborate with others to actually build something unique. Industry, the sector itself, um, realized it didn't serve its customer well enough, I think. And um, when we entered COVID, digitization became a crucial part of success. Mm-hmm. So those who already had the processes and the techniques in place were able to enable their employees to work from home and mm-hmm. to be effective at serving their customers, whether it was claims, you know, when you look at a professional environment of an insurance company, you know, sorting out claims, answering questions, servicing their customers. Whether it's actually insurance or banking, I mean, I had to leave the bank I was with because they became absolutely useless. There was no way to actually have a conversation and be able to undertake any financial services activity when COVID arrives. Actually, you know, the, the new bank and some of the, 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 the new banks were actually there for their com- customers. You could call them, you can engage them with them. You could actually get things sorted within 24 hours. And it, it's where you realize that being digitally prepared is not a nice to have. It's a, a requirement. So when you look at what has that, that that's done for, for insurance, I think uh, some companies and some insurers realize they were, you know, COVID ready. Some realized they were actually not and um, mm-hmm. they were not able to service their customer at all. And some had to keep the light on. So find way to keep things stitched to actually not lose all their customers. Some did lose their customers because they were not mm-hmm. able to service them. Others were able to fulfill uh, some needs and new needs because they were able to identify new product services they could launch during the, the period to enable people to feel safe. 
What else I'd also done is also the realization and how unprepared and, and covered a lot of people were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether you look at small businesses, um, I mean, at least in the UK, some, you know, never really probably read their policies and didn't really understand the consequences things. And we had uh, a number of lawsuits as well relating to small business insurance. At the end, I think the outcome is the world. And I'm sure you've read and and, and seen that. We have moved to a new normal where employees, employees now want a hybrid environment. Um, someone to work from home, someone to work from the office, someone to the flexibility of the two. And adult business now have policies of maybe one or two days work per, in the office per week, uh, which is a change from, you know, a lot of organizations wanting their people to be in the office five days a week. Uh, when you look at the customer, you have to become more digitized. Otherwise, you are not going to be able to engage with them. A lot of people do not even want to talk on the phone. So what are the channels you are going to use to fulfill your customer needs and ensure mm-hmm. you engage with them the way they want to engage? Mm-hmm. And lastly, I think it's redesigning of product and services. Um, we are going in emerging in a world where emerging risk is just starting. I mean, I'm sure you hear a lot on sustainability and climate change. Yes. We are going to see a lot of new and services, you know, appearing to fulfill the needs, not only a consumer, you know, mm-hmm. to be more aware of their carbon credit, but also for large enterprises because they cannot consume the same level of fossil fuel as they use in the past. Mm-hmm. And so I think we are moving into an hybrid uh, world or um, ambidextrous world where, you know, you will need to fulfill the need of the existing, the existing product and services and then look at the new challenges, um, that needs to be addressed and start building the product and services with the technology aligned to fulfill the needs of the future. Mm. During the pandemic, 2020, 2021, there are a lot of talk about disruption. Uh, some people were saying, oh, no, it's not, there's no, there's no such thing as disruption. Brian Faltrup, one of our guests on, on, on the podcast as well, he wrote a book and he says, the future of insurance is uh, evolution, not disruption. Speaking about the, the whole idea around insurtech, um, what exactly is insurtech? For me, insurtech is tech-enabled uh, companies that are bringing new capabilities to the market which enable uh, large enterprises or themselves to evolve. And I know, you know, we talk about evolution to evolve or disrupt actually the marketplace. And for me, that implies not only a company which is using technology to improve processes, it has to use those capabilities to deliver new product and services. And the one which can disrupt will be the one who can actually build new business models. Now for me, insurance technology, insure tech is not just about technology for insurance. And actually I was talking to an amazing gentleman from Oliver Wyman, Dietmar, an, an expert in insurance. And he actually switched the world tech insurance. Mm-hmm. And I think I definitely agree with him because mm-hmm. It's about technology, emerging technology coming into disrupting our industry. Some will be really akin to insurance. Some actually are going to enter insurance. And I think I'm very good. I find startups which are good for industry, which didn't start in insurance. So it's about technology enablers or technology thinkers who are able to deliver efficiency improvements, but also go into what we call sustaining innovation and game-changing innovation where they are able to affect the business model. And how do you affect the business model? It's often by, when you look at banking or fintech, it's about unbundling first the basic of the business model. So yeah. a lot of innovation lending and payment is more difficult in insurance, but you see it, right? Startup doing underwriting and claims and trying to do it more efficiently. The value is not around the point solutions. The value mm. is around how those different point solutions come together to either serve customer segment better, 
I mean, emerging segment, and we have them all around the world. The Gen Z um, is going to be the Gen Alpha soon. Um, we are seeing it from the digital nomads, for instance. Yes. And so it's not about looking at this segment as um, with just doing claims for them, right? It's about giving yeah. them to an experience. Mm-hmm. And lastly, it's about rebelling the capabilities into a business model, which able to to literally do things faster, cheaper, and better. And I'm using those words carefully because it's not about just efficiency, right? But when you remandle, for sure, you are achieving cost-saving and cost-efficiencies, which has been achieved by a lot of businesses in Asia. The reason why the business model of Zong Han Ping Am is working very well is because mm. they have unbundled and rebundled to a point mm. where using AI or cloud or yeah. uh, basic uh, blockchain allows them to the friction out of the conversation, I would say, or the engagement. And therefore, they are able to provide a product or seven USD yeah. to a consumer, which is not difficult in Europe. Uh, but that is where you unbundle and rebundle and therefore are able to deliver services. Now, that means it's not about insurance technology startups, about technology startups serving the industry as best. And that mm. means we talk to legal tech startups, AI startups, cybersecurity, you know, a lot of startups which are not called insurance technology startups. Mm. So it's about redefining, I think, what insurance technology is, but the baseline is efficiency for sure to start with. It's where we started yeah. in 2015. Mm. Then we move into how Paragon Services is serving new customer segment better. And lastly, mm. how do we redefine the whole thing? which is called insurance, which is 338 years old, right? So yes. <laughs> how do you plan for invention? Yes, yes. And I, I think, I mean, you you are pioneering that because we I mean, started in, in the Lloyds where all of this pioneer work around insurance started. So I think that you have the right uh, sword to bring down this uh, dragon. <laughs> Very interesting th- things you, you mentioned there, you know, innovation and uh, from all of your engagements with startups, with corporates, uh, uh, with incumbents. This thing, innovation, right? What are some mistakes or wrongs that you have seen? Well, when you look at the yes, emerging market, it's about finding um, what investors will call unit economic and cost, which is acceptable. Unfortunately, the the, the business model insurance requires capital uh, to mm-hmm. actually run. So, you know, a big mistake which has happened during the intro check era is, uh, you know, confusing premium and revenue. And, you know, as people who come from insurance, you know, we, we use term GWP and revenue because yeah. we know what yeah. that means. And then yeah. now we are actually trying to be really careful around the terminology we are using because GWT is not revenue. For sure, it's top line. Mm. But then mm. you have allocation. And so therefore, you cannot, cannot assume it as revenue because yeah. you have to make sure you have reserve in place to pay for future claims. Mm-hmm. So when I look at the uh, opportunity for new markets, I mean, there is massive most country has a you know penetration of insurance of three percent, five percent maybe for the homeless one, but it's very low. And so I think part of it is about the lack of education, understanding as to the power of insurance to protect people. And you know, in Africa we have this example we love talking about, which is so example. Mm-hmm. Uh because yeah. we really understand this this business people can pay through their Vodafone or Vodacom. Uh, bills for their insurance and through QR codes and be protecting their farms in case of droughts or too much water, um, then you can actually see the power of insurance to protect people and making sure that they are not left out of pocket when you actually pay the bills for their family. But I think it's probably, you know, a lot of things come through a proper education. I mean, you know, with COVID, what has happened is well, all the time, I mean, I'm on 10 hours a a day, right? And I need to make sure my business is protected against cybersecurity because by being a digital business, digital teams, which are working remotely, you need to make sure that uh, any risk to your business is protected with the right tools, services, and insurance. And because I'm insurance, yes, and I guess I buy a lot of insurance as well. But the, the key thing here is really understanding the power of the service and really understanding what the business model and the business is doing so that it's 
protected in the right way, not overprotected based on uh, the revenue generated or lower protected. So it's where the insurer needs to become a friend. And I don't think in many cases the insurer is a friend of uh, the customer always because the system are not ready. You know, I've had with amazing conversations with top insurers that lights around said, so, you know, when are you going to do the real-time review of my top line so that you can actually insure me real-time based on, you know, what I make every month from a revenue viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And um, this is not difficult, actually, for me. It's not difficult. But what that means is a challenge in the way revenue is being um collected or captured because that means the the premium is going to up, go up and down mm-hmm. on a monthly basis, which is not the way insurance company works today. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a vast opportunity. I think insure techs or insurance technology companies, uh, we have only scratched the surface. One percent of things mm-hmm. can be done and be done. Because if you look at what InsurTech is, you know, there's 6,000 startups. Um, since it started in 2015, they've raised 59 billion of uh, investment funding. And I like talking in terms of investment funding because business can only grow through, through financial investment. Yeah. Think about banking. Banking has already raised 650 billion. So InsurTech represents 9% of that amount. And even wealth tech is much higher than InsurTech mm. today. And wealth tech started much later than InsurTech. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Adebo Ali Banjo. I'm co-founder, CEO at MyCover.ai, and we are building Africa's digital insurance infrastructure. For the latest news on insurance technology in Africa, keep listening to InsurTech Business Series and stay updated. Mm, yeah, we refer to to the Empresa story over and over again because that that really just shows how well we can leverage uh, technology to get more people to use financial services. It's on those lines that we're even looking at how can we take advantage of embedded insurance. Uh, you know, I I, I, I follow Simon Torrance. How can we rejig insurance to you know suit? our reality as Africans, right? Different markets, yes, within Africa, but, you know, how can we do this right? And, uh, you know, you see startups like, you know, Curacel, Pineapple, uh, Naked, uh, you know, who are doing amazing stuff, Lamy, uh, Mtech, you know, doing interesting stuff across, you know, in different markets, bringing micro products, different products to the market so that they can address the gaps that are there with, with uh, insurers before now who have not been able to serve all of the markets. We talk about penetration. We are we're struggling at 3%. The, the issue has always been around scaling insurance, right? And so uh, with, the, with the entrance of, of insurtechs within the space, how do we scale you know, some of these offerings, these solutions across markets, even within a specific market to more people. Uh, and so that's where, you know, people like you come in, in terms of investment and investors. Perhaps this is, is a good time to tell us about what you do at Alchemy. I think, I mean, before I answer that question, a lot of startups coming to market because they want to solve problems. And often I see, you know, new ventures coming to market amongst, you know, founders who are friends and connections and saying, you know, I didn't like the way I was treated here. I think there is an opportunity to build a startup. I think the the, the challenge we are facing with the industry is, you know, how many claim solutions you need in the market. Once upon a time, you only had quite a few, right? Just a few, even core systems, right? I remember, you know, 20, 15 years ago, um, yeah. I could list 100, you know, core system vendors. So yeah. I think we need just to be really careful for everybody to build a startup, which end up being a dead pool because there is no need for the solution mm. to market. Mm. Now, when you look at this question for Africa and Africa funding, you know, when I look at some of the numbers, I see, you know, potentially 200, you know, 250 insurtechs over there. 
you know, fundraise over the, the years, um, mm. I guess maybe raise, you know, I think probably reach around half a billion overall of funding. You know, probably this year would be a really good year for InsurTech in Africa. However, again, you, you cannot have everybody trying to become Elon Musk and or Zuckerberg. And, and, you know, the solutions need to solve a problem. And one thing I often say to, to venture, why are you doing what? you are doing and have you looked at the competition would it be not better for you to go and work for or, or yeah impress one of the solutions which are already out there uh, rather than trying to invent the wheel because I think the market we are in is overflown with point solutions um, and if your target is insure, it's unlikely insurers will go for mini point solution because they also have to go through rationalization. And with sustainability becoming more and more important for um, corporates, they have to be smart around the, 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 the solution they are using, which will they will be looking for green solution, you know, using green data centers and all those things. So I just wanted to start with that. Now, when you look at what I'm trying to do at Galkini. So I set up Alchemy nearly three years ago. Gosh, time's going very fast. Well, during the pandemic, launched in June 2020. And um, the time I launched this initiative with, with two co-founders and the goal was to look at how we can extend our competencies. And mine is working with startups. Another co-founder's ex- expertise was in um working with with corporates and developing frameworks. And my last co-founder was himself an investor located in Paris. And um, when you start looking at the one-stop shop, right, you actually need to go you know, upstream around, you know, what the problem you need to solve for. And then you need to decide how you solve for it. Either you do it yourself or you do it with a startup. And then lastly, you need the money to fund it. And there's a reason why I wanted this you know, collaboration take place. Now, the proposition has evolved in a sense that a lot of the corporates I work with, so I, my business model is three, threefold. I work with startups, I work with corporates, and I work with investors. And um, the the big pillar of everything I do is corporate. So I work with leading insurer in the three continents, at least three continents, Asia, Europe, and United States. And I move to the best book work where I either uh, help them uh, from R&D viewpoint, where I enable them to get solution for problems they have to be solved. And I don't do it with, um, I was saying, lipstick on the pegs. I just justify everything like an investor would do with data from the insurance or mm-hmm. insurtech world. So everything is validated with, uh, from an investor lens or an M&A lens viewpoint. But also what happened as part of this is some of the insurers approached me and said, you know, can you help me build my own framework? So I also do white label framework build where I help we insurers um, build their own labs. So I do venture labs and I help insurers build their their own venture labs to enable them to commercialize solution with startups. So when you look at the word around scaling and uh, RI, the key thing is it's all about the way you go about doing it. And my outcome is always how maximize the relationship between the corporate and the startup. Partly will be through partnership collaboration, partnership being uh, converting a contract into a relationship where both is going to achieve value financial returns value from uh, the relationship and a lot of the work we do has to lead to top line growth it's faster to deal to top line rather than just focusing on efficiency savings and um, through that then you can actually it becomes easier to raise funding because if you have a great startups which is in demand with great corporates then bringing this to investor become easier so that is what I do every day now, you know, the market has evolved. So we're always looking for new things to do. And as you know, because I'm an influencer, I do also work with a number of brands, which are not insurers, actually. Um, a lot of tech, big tech brands work with me around um, approaching, organizing events and being, being more present within the fintech and tech world. And, and lastly, you know, working with my co-founder in Paris, 
I've been looking at how we make big corporate find ways to build their own fund in an easier way. Min is focusing on VZ as a service, you know, different brand, but we know that it's it's an area which is very important for corporate to be able to access and provide financing to start up and doing it in the right way. So VC as a service is also another big part of what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is going to, it's more through, through my co-founder brand, uh, main trend through Mandana mm-hmm. right partners. Mm-hmm. Interesting that you mentioned, uh, you know, VC as a service, something I, I also was, was going to ask you about. Um, I, I, I understand the, 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 the idea, right. And I have always thought that for insurers, there needs to be a lot more involvement with digital partners, startups that is partner with on this journey, right? Right now, a lot of uh, focus is on, well, let's partner to sell insurance. Uh, partner with us, we'll put our, our products on your platform. We have the APIs, uh, at least for those who have it, right? We can sell through you to your 10 million customers, you know, and things like that. So yes, helping them to be more active in terms of investing in those, in the innovation that is being developed you know, by these startups, uh, I think it is an interesting one. Uh, but perhaps maybe if you can talk a bit more about that idea around VC as a service. You know, when, we're, when you were speaking earlier, I coined out something, IAAF, insurance as a friend. Beyond just sell for us, right? How else can incumbent help to build or grow this insurtech space? Because it's the future. COVID has come and it's a new reality, just like you mentioned earlier. Hi, I'm Dr. Neto, founder and CEO of Wella Health, where we're working on affordable access to healthcare using technology and alternative care pathways, microinsurance being central to our work. I'm delighted to be on a chat on InsurTech Business Series, where we talk about some of the stuff we're learning at Wella Health and how we can improve insurance adoption across Nigeria and Africa. Enjoy. Well, the key thing is um, looking at just to solve macro problems, I think, is uh, short term, uh, will result in short term outcomes. Because if you have to report to a board and executive level, if you are looking at startup as point solution to serve your underwriting or solve your uh, claims issue. Well, they are going to solve the problems, but um, it's short term. So you have to look at the problem as a portfolio issue and also as um, infrastructure, I would say, infrastructure. So it's about, often we talk about unbundling the problems. So what is the business model doing and where is the, the wrongs are? And then rebundling with the capabilities, which can actually yield interesting outcomes, which hopefully will be top line growth. And when you look at the corporate Looking at partnership only, I think is it's quite short-term. So you need to actually look at what we call transferability strategies, which would include not only partnering with startups, but also investing in them and potentially acquiring them. To be able to do that, you need to actually look mm-hmm. at what you are doing in terms of what we call corporate venture. Jesus theme, which is a, an industry, a sector that many organizations do not understand yet. And it's why, mm. as you know, I also have my own podcast, which is focusing mm-hmm. on corporate venturing only. Um, so now when you look at the theme around VC as a service, and I realize a lot of people don't know what that means because, you know, when I, I share means article, uh, it worked on uh, a few, I mean, a few weeks ago and we, we published on the iCommunity website. Uh, when we actually share it on to LinkedIn, you know, I get comments where people say, oh, this is all world. You know, we've seen that in finance, all those things. Yes, probably, you know, VC as a service is not completely new, but it's all about the business model. What you find is investors and finance, the way they've implemented that often is a direct, uh, framework uh, around remuneration. And, you know, for people who are going to listen to the podcast, understanding how investment works around um, general partners, limited partners and carry and uh, remuneration. You have the old world environment and then you can actually create as a service, therefore a much more flexible remuneration approach where you don't have to invest the first hundred million. And I'm going to give big numbers because this is usually in the way funds work, so they actually 
have to put 50 million, 100 million front to build a fund where you can actually use a much more flexible approach, which is far more linked to investment strategy. And so if you can do that, and therefore, when you look at Africa, for instance, it's probably um, an approach would probably fit well because people don't have 50 million sitting in the bank account, um, but actually can make decisions very quickly on, on top leading tech companies they want to be part of the health of or the growth of, then you can actually look at different business models around how to do VC. Now, mean uh, comes from very well-known VC background. He worked for a company like Nokia. He worked for uh, the like of AXA Strategic Ventures many years back. So, uh, you know, he has 30 years as being a VC. And the VC world is not static. Uh, it evolves all the time. And, you know, for the past two years, looking at, you know, what people want, what people don't want, and part in our world, which is corporates, which are insurance companies, he had to adapt the model to make it much more approachable for smaller, actually, smaller insurers to be part of the new world economy and become themselves uh, limited partners into um, a funding structure which allows them to achieve value. But that also means that you have to have an eye for winning startups. You have to have a framework to identify winning startups, right? Financial modeling and uh, techniques uh, to actually understand what growth could look like and how your project grows, even in identifying founders profile, because you cannot have a successful Mm -hmm. company without a a good team. And then it's about also regular interaction with your limited partners. And so um, this comes into a bit of a package and um, enabling those who do not know how to invest, to invest right. It's also about providing the method. So helping the limited partners understand how it works. Because I think in a VC world, you know, you can give your money VC and the VC will definitely look for the best opportunity to actually give you a return investment. But you have no ability to have a voice into the choices uh, which are made. And I've seen situations where, you know, companies would invest in competing companies through this process. By having a very clear lens on site with your your VC or your general partners who literally is your personalized like concierge VC, then mm. you have more ability to design the investment thesis, be clear around metrics. And also be as transparency around like, avoiding conflict within the portfolio. So yes, that is it in, in short, but you know, there's so much more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, yes. I, I agree with you. And, and I guess that's where alchemy comes in, being able to help insurers. Uh, because just like you explained now, there's a lot of work that goes into, I'm going to invest in this company. Uh, you know, being able to have a partner like alchemy to do those things, but working with the insurer, for example, to say, oh, these are the areas that I'm looking at. This is what I want to do. These are the KPIs. This is the things that I want to achieve. And then you and the team can do the, the work to help the insurer, you know, get to that point. Exactly. And it has to be a really structured process. I mean, mm. a lot of our initiatives, you know, are 8 to 12 weeks. So we have to move very fast. Mm. And 8 to 12 weeks? Yeah, it has to be 8 to 12 weeks. So we mm. have to take away the politics out of the process. Mm. And so um, the reason why a lot of insurers come to us, they have to solve a problem, they have to move fast. Mm. And um, our initiative based on the problem would be between 8 to 12 weeks. And that mm. is a demand-led approach. Now, if it mm. is a commercial lab, so the best commercial lab I, I've built, a lot of people probably have seen through social media. And I'm very proud to work with this amazing insurer. Uh, but you will have to look at my social media to find out which one it is. Um, <laughs> so a 12-month initiative. And um, mm. I love what we are doing. And I know this company is going to be the number one in what they do around commercialization with mm. ventures. Um, so that is one year. But, you know, you have everything in between. When you look at VC as a service, mm. when you want to build your, it has to start with what we call a charter. So okay. why we are doing what we are doing, that can take mm. a month. And then it's about identifying the investment phases, why we're we doing what we are doing. I think Min would say this is probably three months you know, two to three months, but then, you know, you can actually launch a VC arm in six months maximum and start investing. He's working with some of the leading European insurer doing this at the minute. And, um, 
you know, his goal is to return money to each of those organizations. And I know he's been doing very well, even yeah. during COVID, because at the end of the day, digitization has enabled a lot of insurers realizing that there is money to be made in venture yeah. who actually thought about it a long time ago. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I know that a lot of your activities are outside of Africa, but is Africa the space that interests you that much to say, hey, we want to work with insurtechs and uh, insurers within this space? I have worked with, as you know, you may know, a lot of the uh, startups that came into our programming in Europe and uh, in the United States. So Pineapple is one of the startups okay. which yeah. came into Hartford Insurtech Hub. Um, okay. I work with startups like uh, Aerobotic, which is from South Africa. There are okay. other names of African startups which have come through uh, our European programs, even uh, participated to Accord uh, Innovation mm. Challenge. All this, you know, when I find talents and we're trying to give them some exposure. So yes, mm. I do work with African startups. Uh, and the key thing is, it's about differentiation, right? How can we mm. find something which is so unique and can be differentiated and actually beat the competition, the European competition? You know, don't forget that in the UK, you know, 14% of the global insure tech startups come from the UK, 5% from Germany, 5% from France, and mm. probably 40, 45% from the United States. So there is a lot of competition for, for skill and, uh, and differentiation, I would say for differentiation. Mm. And so if we can find individuals which are really unique, yeah. sure. We will want to talk about them and bring them into uh, the fold. I think the opportunity is we are moving into a world of, you know, moving from fossil fuels to renewable energy. And then we also need to use mobile phones and better and learning from, you know, using, I guess, feature phones, right? Um, And so the opportunity, I think, for Europe is being more mindful. And I know for companies like Allianz and Minigri and Mm. Swiss 3 have done a lot of work in Africa to actually learn from a market which has to consume data and asset in a much more nimbler way. I'm sure there are many more insurers who are looking forward to doing this. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you in terms of, you know, what the opportunities are, right? I don't know if you know Richard Leftley. Micro insurance company started off at Micro Insure here in, in Africa, in Kenya, Ghana, Nigeria. Now the global company, um, but starting off working around insurance and seeing how to get people who were excluded to buy insurance, you know, buy through feature funds. You give the, the example around the M-Pesa. People are able to engage with financial services because they need it so that, you know, they don't fall back into poverty innovation like that as to how we can create more opportunities. And we see that even micro insurance companies today, they have a, a Lloyd syndicate, uh, which is quite interesting, right? You know, bringing micro insurance to a global scale to see how we can get more behind. Because one of the things that I've also seen is when you're talking about emerging markets, people usually will gravitate to oh, Africa, you know, Kenya and Nigeria. But when you talk about emerging markets, we spoke with uh, Nabi, from Australia, she's serving uh, gig workers, for example, right? That's an emerging space. Digital normals, like you mentioned, that's an emerging space. That's new risk for them. How do we create solutions? And that's where technology innovation comes in, right? And the people who are pioneering these, these startups, many of them at idea stage, precede stage, and they need the money. The money is the fuel, you know, to get some of these things, even to test them and see how to iterate. Speaking to uh, these guys, what, what would be uh, your advice in terms of the key things that they need to put in place now uh, that would help the company in the future and then also help them to attract uh, the funding that they actually need? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And, you know, when I look at my databases, you know, we have one startup, uh, which is called Affinity Health, uh, was built in 2004, which is in Joburg. And then when you look at the average uh, fundraise in the in the country, um, you, you see, which probably have gone between uh, raising to um 40 million and then quickly we we go down to you know 15 million like naked or uh Duraco, which is around 7 million and then pineapple which is around 6 million so mm. my recommendation i mean 
one thing I would say is if you can give me another six months, I will probably put a course as to how you become successful. Wow. Uh, and the reason why I need to do this is because I get rich, I mean, out by so many startups who want to help mm. me to raise funding. And I cannot help a startup raise five million because the time mm. required to raise five million is, is too long. I can only focus on companies which are raising 20 to 30 million because then it makes my time worthwhile. And so the key thing is first, you know, is understanding the business model. So I would say to any of your listening to the podcast is go on Google and look at a business model canvas and then try to work out whether you have a differentiated business model. Then from the business model, work out your value proposition. You know, is there a value proposition that one customer want to buy? So that is what we call desirability. Second, is the product something the customer want, which we call feasibility? And third is viability. Are the financing making sense? When you have this, right, business model value proposition, then from your value proposition, working out your, um, what we call the right side of the business, the, the value proposition, which is users, the, the, the left side of the value proposition, which is feasibility angles, the product. And then lastly, uh, the bottom part, which is uh, the financials. If all this fall and make sense, usually investors, we're actually going to listen to you. But they are only going to listen to, to founders who are teams. So investors invest in teams. They are not in, investing in people. So make sure you have a CEO, a CFO, a COO, a CTO, you know, whatever the right or CMO, you know, whatever the combination is right for this specific proposition. Some proposition are very much creator led for so they need marketing execs. Some, some uh, proposition are very technology led. So they need a very strong technology officer or product led. So they need a chief product officer. So. All those titles are not uh, random, right? You don't put random title to people. It has to be aligned to the strategy and where the business is going. And um, I would say it's all about communication at the end. So mm. how is your pitch or your story? Let's just use better word. What is mm. the story and how mm. uh, the, the story cements uh, together so that uh, an investor can actually quickly understand uh, the opportunity and where there is money to be made. Most investors are financial investors, so they need to deliver a return on investment for mm. their partners, LPs. And so they are going to look at unit economics. Mm, mm, mm. Thank you. In terms of innovators coming to the space, uh, talking about insurtech generally, looking also at the trends that you're seeing and from all of the engagements that you're seeing as well, there are a lot of areas within the insurance value chain where there's need for innovation. Where do you think the opportunity lies right now? So we always need to be careful, right, around the value chain, because, you know, there is innovation to be for sure made around the value chains. Think about, you know, claims you have great company such as Snapsheet, which has done very well, or Tractable, right, which reach unicorn status. And then when you start looking at uh, areas such as fraud detection combined with uh, claims, you have shift technology. Then when you look at the underwriting space, you know, it's all about data and underwriting and pulling data together through very sophisticated um, algorithm and AI and machine learning algorithm. I would say, you know, I wonder every so often, you know, is there saturation in it because there are so many. And even though, you know, we still keep the conversation going. And so right now, you may know there's this major conference in the United States. The theme I will be actually talking about would be sustainability, but I'm not just going to look at sustainability. I'm going to look at supply chain sustainability and climate change sustainability and urbanization sustainability, which means that the underwriting algorithm needs to be responsible and the data needs to be ethical. So I think the opportunity is to look at the next layer of how data is being used and whether it's compliant with regulatory requirements 
and able to make sure that they are not eliminating part of the population because of the way they are being built. And then responsible is actually driving that transparency in underwriting. And I'm sure you've heard around black box underwriting and white box underwriting. Mm. And one of the great startups which talk about white box underwriting is uh, accurate uh, mm. because at the end of the day, you need to actually be able to show to the underwriter, uh, to the underwriter and the regulator how algorithms are being planned to provide recommendation around profiling yeah. and risk pricing. I think, though, the opportunity needs to be bigger than that. So we're still mm. focusing on today's problems. I think the opportunity needs to combine all this stuff to look at how we start building a um, really interesting business model. I don't think there's many circular economy in tech business model, for instance. And a lot of innovation which is coming in is around parametrics. You know, great startup absolutely mm. loves for parametrics with an X, which yeah. is around cloud outage. But that is a really smart business model. <laughs> Actually, this is such a smart business model. It's like, oh, why did you come up with this one? Um, <laughs> Exactly. Right. You're laughing. So I feel really privileged, you know, to work with all the startups because I said, oh, God, this is so smart. Yeah. Um, but that is it. Right. How can we find really smart business models which are really solving today? Right. But which are going to be there for very long term. And you know what? Mm. Cloud is not going to go. I mean, I remember you know, when Google stopped for half a day, I, mm. I went to go and drink coffee because I could not access my emails for four hours. So things like that will happen. I think it's looking at the problems of tomorrow with all this tech we are using. This mm. is your opportunity. Mm. We could go on. It's been, it's been an interesting conversation and uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I have reservations around in ESG and sustainability, uh, but I guess that could be another conversation for another podcast. Indeed, right. <laughs> One, lastly, um, for those who want to connect with you, collaborate or work with you some way or another, how can they reach out? Well, to channel LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So yeah. <laughs> messaging me on LinkedIn, I think that's the way you reach out. Actually. Yes. <laughs> so you see, I reply. And um, also just go onto the website, elu at alchemycrew.com. You know, I have a team looking at email, you know, because we are on planes back now and we are traveling. Mm-hmm. So we are not able, always able to, I'm not always able to answer all the emails, but I have a team definitely mm-hmm. dedicated in doing that. Mm, awesome. Awesome. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Same here. Thank you for having me with you. Hi, and I hope you did enjoy that conversation. Quite interesting one. Do ensure that you continue to listen to our podcast and share as well with your colleagues and friends, uh, future episodes and even previous ones on Apple Spotify, Google Podcasts, on every platform that you get your podcasts. Right. And also don't forget to join the conversation on all of our social media platforms. You might have comments, reviews, as well as questions. Please do share on our LinkedIn page, on our Twitter page, as well as remember to follow us.